One, one of the things about God is that he's more anxious to communicate with us than we have capacity to listen sometimes. Isaiah talks about God, hold, all, hold out my hands all day to a disobedient people. That longing of God's heart. And, and it may be that tonight there's something that particularly God wants to draw your attention to. It may be about yourself. So in a few minutes I'm going to be talking about the body. If you've got a body, it's a very relevant talk for you tonight. Um, or it might be one to talk to you about himself. And it, it may be that you've been struggling with, with a kind of, uh, is God impervious to my suffering? And it may be again that for you, you need to have that, that chance of Bible school to to reflect on that one. It may be that something in worship has caught your attention. If God's speaking to you for you, that's great. If God's speaking to you for all of us, then do find one of our service leaders. We want to just be open to, to things that God might have to communicate with all of us at different times. But here's a, just a, a bit of notice stuff for the city a minute. Um, as a church, I suppose we, we, we love the whole church in, in the city, and sometimes, you know, when you're a large church, people can feel, oh, maybe they're just in a little world of their own, and or maybe they're empire builders, and we honestly don't want to be like that. We want to resource local churches, and the things that we put on here, we want to offer to you. So one of the things we do, we do every um, every year, a couple of times a year, we run something called the Wholeness Course. Now, the next Wholeness Course is going to be starting, I think, on the 9th of um, November. 8th, 8th of November, and we'd love to feel that for you, if, if there are people in your own setting, if you're not a regular here, that need to deal with things like uh, disappointment, uh, anxiety, um, malicious hatred of church leaders, anything like that, you know, <laughs> they, they could come along to that one, and um, it's, it's always a really wonderful time. Another thing that we're going to be doing, and this is actually on, on bonfire night on November the 5th, but just in the late afternoon, we're going to have a lament service. And again, it's a Saturday, it's open to anyone from any churches, but there's a lot of loss in our lives, isn't there? Life and loss belong together, and we don't always give space to process some of those things in the presence of God. And this particular Saturday, we want to do that. We want to have a, a service of, about lament and loss, and it might be about some of the bereavements that you've suffered, but it might be about loss of other things or disappointments in your life. But to bring that to the presence of God and to maybe to, to do that in a place where in the place of lament I can still worship. That's a really good thing. So that's open to anyone in the city we'd love, love to see. And on a very different note, this is um, uh, on the 12th of November. That's also on a Friday. It's all day. We're hosting the Global Leaders Summit here. It's, um, it's a paid conference which is uh, put on by um, um, actually a church in America. Well, a, a, a context in America. But we have a lot of... of High-quality, world-class teaching, um, particularly about leadership. And if you're a leader in industry, in the marketplace, or in church leadership, then do check out the GLS because we're hosting it here. We'd love to see you. And if you're a friend, we can offer you a substantial discount too. So if you are a friend, yeah, you, you're all friends here, actually. I'm going to give you all a discount. You can all come. Um, before we go, I, I don't know, I, I love to pray a bit in church. It's a house of prayer, isn't it? And gosh, our country needs prayer, doesn't it? And our world needs prayer. Should we just take a moment to pray before we do the Bible school thing? Father God, you look at our world with compassion and mercy. And Father God, you're interested in saving the world. Creation, men and women, people like us. And we pray, Lord God, that your salvation will be worked out in all kinds of ways. But we pray for practical salvation. Lord God, we want to pray, God, that where there is such entrenched war and bloodshed and loss of life, 
where individuals are shaping the destiny of thousands through their policies. We pray, Lord God, that you would break in and break the yoke of pride and paranoia and all the things that hold the world in captive. Lord, we, 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 we seek peacemaking in, in the Ukraine and Russian conflict. Will you come in Jesus' name? Lord God, for our own government in significant disarray in this country, with the implication of a loss of confidence and, and so many outcomings. Lord, we, we want to pray, Lord God, that you would bring restoration healing to our nation and its governance. Lord, have your hand on Liz Truss. Have your hand on Jeremy Hunt. Have your hand on the, the movers and shakers in politics. But we recognize, Lord God, there's a wisdom that comes from heaven that means we do things differently. And we want to have the wisdom from heaven to care for those people in our society who really need your mercy and compassion that's flowing from your heart. And Lord God, in this city, Lord, I thank you that you've got many churches, many communities. Help us to work together in love and unity. We want to bless your church in this city. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, before I speak, I'm going to give you an opportunity. If you want to go to Bible school, then follow Tim down in the crypt. If you're not going to Bible school but staying here, then be friendly. Take a moment to talk to people around you. You can even get up of your seat and go and say hi to someone if you want to. Well, ladies and gentlemen, if you need anybody, well, you can't have anybody, you just got to stick with your own. That's really great to see you. We're, we're in a series um, called Sacred, and we're looking at things that are sacred, and how do we handle the sacred? We've looked at Holy Communion. We've looked at baptism. We've had communion together. We've had baptism together. Tonight we're looking at the body. What makes the body sacred? And um, 
We'll go we'll start just by reading a couple of quotes. So let's get that first quote up there. I think this is a great quote, so read it, dig in, see what you make of it. Human life is sacred. This means that God has consecrated each and every human being, without exception and in all circumstances, as a unique, incalculably precious being of elevated status and dignity. Through God's revelation in Scripture and in incarnation in Christ Jesus, God has declared and demonstrated the sacred worth of human beings and will hold us accountable for responding appropriately. Such a response begins by adopting a posture of reverence and by accepting the responsibility for the sacred gift that is human life. It includes offering due respect and care to each human being that we encounter. It extends to an obligation to protect human beings from wanton destruction, desecration, or the violation of human rights. A full embrace of the sacredness of human life leads to a full-hearted commitment to foster human flourishing. That's a big quote, isn't it? Very comprehensive. And, and I, I guess we can all sign up to human life being sacred in a way. We, we've, we've, we've kind of got, we're used to kind of the idea of, of universal human rights. But in practice, we live in a very divided world where some people are more sacred than others as far as they're treated in terms of human flourishing. Don't you agree? Right, here's a second quote. This is from C.S. Lewis. Can't read it. It's far too small. Who put that there? Who could possibly? Oh, it's behind me. Oh, yeah. Look at that. Anyway, I've got it on a bit of paper in front of me. So there. There are no ordinary people. You've never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilization, these are mortal. Their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. This doesn't mean we're to be perpetually solemn. We must play. But our merriment must be of the kind, and is in fact the merriest kind, which exists between people who from the outset have taken each other seriously, no flippancy, no superiority, no presumption. What an amazing thought, isn't it? That you, sat where you are in your seat tonight, are going to outlast the sun and the stars and the galaxies because you're made for eternity. And this physical universe and our civilizations are going to end, but you're going to go on forever. That's a big thought, isn't it? And part of um, what we, we do when we think about these kind of things is, well, how do these truths shape our, our practice, the way we do life? It, it's all very well having these highfalutin ideas, but what difference is it going to make to the way that I live tomorrow when I leave this place? So that's what we're going to think about tonight. So Christians believe that to be human means to have a body. In fact, we believe so much that, that we think that when you die and you enter into resurrection life, you're going to need a body to do that. Our bodies express ourselves, don't we? We are who we are. You know me 
via my body and by the way that my body integrates my emotional life and my spiritual life. They are deeply integrated in me. I know that um, what I do with my body affects my emotions and my spirit and vice versa. And the body is a vehicle to express what it means to be made in the image of God, whose spirit. That's, that's an extraordinary idea, isn't it? But the body has been deeply hallowed for these reasons. First, God made human beings in his image. He breathed on dust. It became Adam, Genesis says. And, and there's something about that we are God-breathed, like Scripture, like the church. Other sacred things we'll be touching on in the next couple of weeks. God-breathed. Therefore, we're sacred. Second of all, Jesus did us the extraordinary honor of becoming a human being, of becoming incarnate. In other words, carne, flesh in Latin, isn't it? It became flesh. God had a body. And that body was Jesus Christ living with us. And so the body is sanctified because Jesus himself has got a resurrection body. So it's doubly sanctified. And third of all, we become a temple of the Holy Spirit. And a bit later on, we'll be reading that verse which, where Paul says, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. So for those of us who know God, who've given our lives to Jesus, who've become part of his family, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is living in us. That's what the Bible teaches. That's a big idea. You are carrying around, if you, if you like, the presence of God in you. And Psalm 139 talks about the body being fearfully and wonderfully made by God. Now, in the, in the, in the early centuries of Christianity, there was a movement called Gnosticism. And you may have, have heard about it. And Gnostics, people with a kind of hidden, superior, kind of uh, arcane knowledge. Um, and, and Gnostics taught things about the body, which the New Testament writers strongly opposed. Because their understanding was that, that there was something wrong with the material universe. And they responded to that in two ways. For some Gnostics, they treated the body really harshly. They had also ascetic practices. Because it's bad. For others, they said, well, human beings are really spiritual. So it doesn't matter what we do with the body. So they're really completely hedonistic. They didn't care about sex or food or overindulgences of any physical appetite because, oh, it's just matter. It doesn't really count. And the Bible refutes both those ideas. We are not meant to treat the body harshly. But we are meant to believe that it has an impact on ourselves because it is intrinsic to ourselves. And it's not bad. It was made good, but it needs redeeming. So I'm going to just throw out a few, a few thoughts and then I get a chance to pray. So, what does it mean to love your body? Do you love your body? I mean, who's been standing in the mirror recently and saying, oh, you're gorgeous. <laughs> I know some of you have been doing that. No, um, we're told to love our neighbor as ourselves, aren't we? So there's something about loving ourselves that's important. When, when Paul's writing, and he's actually writing in Ephesians chapter 5, let's get those verses up, 28 to 29. Um, in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. 
After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does for the church. Well, actually, what Paul's really saying is a healthy psychology feeds and cares for our body. We know that sometimes where people are unhealthy, they can abuse their body and, and harm their body. That's an unhealthy reaction. But a healthy human being feeds and cares for their body, has an instinct to do that. And that is a definition of love. Love in the Bible is very, very practical. Loving my neighbor means making sure that my neighbor is fed and clothed and nurtured. Going right back to that quote from David Gushy at the very beginning, what it means to have human flourishing. And when Jesus talked about loving your neighbor, he gave a story about a very practical action about someone rescuing someone who'd been beaten up and making sure they're fed and healed and cared for. And if we are going to um, respect what it means to have a body, then we first of all want to make sure that our own bodies are loved. And you have responsibility to God to make sure that your body is adequately fed, clothed, educated, exercised, and rested. Part of your discipleship is caring for your body. Now, that's not to go all out on the body, as can sometimes happen in our culture, you know, where it's all about the body. And, you know, I, I've known people who've so um, cared for their body, it's been at the expense of their emotions and their spirit. Paul says, you know, I buffet my body. Actually, bodily exercise has some value. It has some value. And, but its real value is about that integrated value so that I can be healthy in every part in my mind and my spirit because my body is being cared for. But I just want to say to you, you have a responsibility to your body to look after it. You've also got a responsibility for other people's bodies to make sure that they're nurtured. If you're going to take seriously that command of Jesus to love your neighbor as yourself. And so whenever we give money to a mission organization that's actually about relief and development, that's about making sure that people can go to school, that the hungry people can be fed that we can provide resources for people, so for human flourishing. We are obeying that commandment, and we need to do that in our city, in areas of disadvantage, wherever we encounter it, and, and, and in, actually in the global community, because we believe that all human life is sacred, not just British people, not just people from the same culture as us, not people from the same skin color as us, not people who speak the same language as us, not the, same peop not the people who've had the same education as us. Everybody is valuable to God. And our responsibility in a global village is to try and ensure as much nurture for every human being, for human flourishing as possible. That's just a straight command, I think. Okay, second thing. What about the sanctity of human life when it comes to things like pro-life? Have we got the right to determine whether someone lives or dies. It's so interesting, that one, isn't it? Um, it's interesting, you know, that in the States, some states that are very kind of anti-abortion have the death penalty. That's just kind of a bit incongruous, isn't it? You know, where, where, where do we hold these kind of things together? And I'm not going to come down uh, big time on this topic tonight, but what I'm going to say is that people who wrestle with when does life begin? Does it begin at conception? Does it begin, what, what, what does it look like? Are doing so because there's a background, whether they're a Christian or not, that says there's a sanctity to human life. And there's something about the Christian faith that has spoken to 
a world that didn't know the heart of God and has so infused it that now all cultures take human life seriously. Back in the, the, the first century when Christianity started, unwanted children were put on rubbish dumps. They just, yeah, got a kid, who cares? We didn't want this kid, we'll leave it on a rubbish dump to die. And Christians took those kids into their homes and cared for them and nurtured them because they believed in the sanctity of human life. And that is, that, that, that's something that we have to wrestle with in our culture, in our time. Where, where does human life belong? Have we got the right to um, end human life at early days or late days? You know? What do we think about you know, the, the, the ethics of euthanasia? What do we think about the ethics of shortening life for people who are suffering profoundly in their bodies? It's a really tricky one to deal with, and, and there's a whole school of medical ethics that deals with that. I'm not going to go into that tonight, but I'm going to say that you need to think about that because you're going to encounter these issues. I mean, I, we had to encounter these issues as a family. You know, that kind of, you've got an elderly relative in care. Do you say, do not resuscitate on their care plan? Have we got the right to say that or not? Or actually, with our medical practice, are we prolonging death rather than, you know, what's, what's going on there? Let's, let's, I'm going to let you think about those things. But all pro-life pro issues start with this verse, Genesis 9, let's just read it, 4 to 7. You must not eat meat that has its lifeblood still in it. And for lifeblood, I will surely demand an accounting. I will demand an accounting from every animal and from every human being too. I will demand an accounting for the life of another human being. Whoever sheds human blood, by humans shall their blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made mankind. That's a, that's a quote that comes given to Noah after Noah's flood. But it speaks about that kind of, the dignity that God gives to human life that that primitive culture of ancient Israel took on and which has now infused our global world. I think that's a good thing. Right. How does our physical behavior affect our spiritual life? Here's another verse. Let's, let's read from Ephesians 5 verse 18. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Let's read from Romans 6, 13. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life, and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. I think we're in danger in our Christian culture of being a little bit Gnostic, of thinking it really doesn't matter that much what we do with our bodies because God loves us anyway, and and you know we're okay if things we're okay with God, so it doesn't really matter what we do. And I think that the the reality is that what we do with our bodies affects our capacity for God. And I, I say that with from experience. I think what I do with my body affects my capacity for God. I must, you know, when I come to church with a hangover, as I do, no, I'm joking. But, um, but honestly, that is a factor, isn't it? And I think that um, when we stop reverencing our own bodies and become careless, 
I remember talking to a, a guy um, who had, you know, his, his, his partner was upset because he'd had sex with someone else at a party. And he said to me, well, it was just a, and he used a word beginning with F, but I, I didn't really understand it. But anyway, but that's, in a sense, he was saying it was just sex. That's all it was. But it really had a profound impact on that relationship and the way those two people were able to conduct their life going forward. And honestly, what we do with our bodies has an effect on ourselves. What we do with our bodies can deaden our sensitivity to the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit works in all kinds of ways on us, physically, emotionally, and spiritually, as I'll explain in a moment. It has an effect on our community. What we do with our bodies affects our community profoundly. And our community is holy too. And I just want to encourage all of us that both in public and private care of our bodies, that we, we just reverence what we've been given rather than just saying, oh, it doesn't really matter. It's not a big deal. It's perhaps a bigger deal than we think it is. But I invite you just to think more about that, that subject. But I think that's why we practice self-control. Because, and let's just take this one, our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. That's Ephesians 6, 18 to 19. It's, it's looking at the sexual areas where there's a quote there. Um, can I just read that? Ephesians 6, not Ephesians 6. Yes, it, 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 is, a, it, is, a, it is It's 1 Corinthians 6, 18 to 19. Don't you know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You're not your own. Jesus became flesh and died on the cross in flesh to rescue our flesh. And he took our place. And as followers of Jesus, part of the deal is we give our bodies to him. It belongs to you, Jesus. It's not mine anymore. That's what this verse is saying. That's what Paul says in Romans 12 when he says, Offer your bodies as living sacrifices holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. My body doesn't belong to me anymore. It belongs to him. He's in charge of it. Now, honestly, I say that and I keep taking it back. Sorry, <laughs> I forgot that I said that, God. <laughs> I think I'm in charge, you know? It's a bit like, you know, I've given Jesus the driving seat in my car of my life, but I'm a really bad backseat driver and I keep on wanting to grab the wheel and take it back. I thought it was my, oh yeah, I gave it to you, didn't I? Do you, do you ever do that? I've given you everything. Oh, I forgot I gave you everything. I thought it was mine. Uh, so, but, um, you see, when, when we gave our bodies to God, God said, you know, I'm going to come and live with you. I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit. And I'm going to dwell within you. So your body becomes extra sacred. Now, so, when you go down to Bristol Cathedral, anyone ever go to Bristol Cathedral? It's, it's a great building, isn't it? But if you go to a holy place, you, 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 you adopt a certain way of talking in the cathedral, don't you? You don't kind of, kind of, you're not too loud and leery in the cathedral. You don't bring a picnic and start, oh, I think I'll just have a can of this and sit down and put your feet up and, 
You treat it with respect and reverence, don't you? Because the place of worship is rather transcendent and beautiful and holy. And actually, I think the Bible says something like that about the way we should treat ourselves. Actually, we, well, we're, we're holy. We're, we're, a, we're a place in which the Holy Spirit resides. Gosh, I never thought of it like that. I just thought I was this kind of scraggy old bit of meat, you know? No, you're, you're holy, and, and the God's living in you. And actually, he wants your body to be a channel for the powers of the age to come breaking in on you. And in fact, there's something about your body which is, if you use it right, it's going to have an eternal dimension. But I, I want you to say, if your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, do we res- offer the sort of respect that we would at any place of worship if we take that seriously? I'm coming to land quite soon, but I'm just interested in this kind of stuff, you know? Um, I'm interested in the way that the body is integrated. James writes, he said, the body without the spirit is dead. And actually, I've spent a bit of time with dead bodies. When I left university, I did a nursing you know, qualification to be a registered nurse. How about that? And then one of the things I had to do was prepare bodies that had died. I had to kind of empty the orifices and pack them with cotton wool. <laughs> and, um, you know, actually, when someone's died, they just are not there. And, and I guess if, you, if you've kind of experienced a, a, someone, and then you, you can... Sorry, I should, <laughs> there's no need for that. That was gratuitous. Please will expunge that from the visual. Um, but you, you, actually... It, the body without the spirit really is dead, isn't it? Who, who's, who's with me on that one? You've worked with, yeah, it's, it's just like that, isn't it? And, um, but the body that's alive is expressive of your nature, of your character, and actually is expressive of what you carry in God. You know, I, I can't count the times when I've seen somebody light up physically because the power of God is in them and on them. I've seen... The, the, the way their face is transformed because the mercy of God is active in their life and it's written on their body. And, and people who are not kind of conventionally beautiful, like myself, you know, can, um, honestly, I'm not. You know, I've never been asked to model. No, no, no I know. It's strange, isn't it? Um, good. Um, but I know that from time to time, my physical appearance will convey something as the presence of God to you, I think. And that's, that's a grace. But maybe in the resurrection, that will be writ large. Do you know, in the resurrection, I think what we've done with our bodies will somehow be marked. What we've done for God. And one reason I think that is because Jesus, his resurrection body had the marks of the biggest act of love and sacrifice the world has ever known. Because the resurrected Jesus had nail prints in his hand. And he's described in Revelation as the lamb looking as though it was slain. And it's almost like a badge of glory in the resurrection body of Jesus. Now, I don't know what that actually looked like for the disciples. But I wonder if what you do for God will somehow be translated into the glory that your resurrection body will have. That the way you've served him in this life will somehow reflect. If you've been a merciful person, maybe that will be reflected in your, in your 
new, new creation body. If you've been a loving person, if you've been a courageous person, you know, if, if you've been a disciplined person and you've done it for the glory of God, will that be reflected in your body? Anyway, it's worth a thought, isn't it? Most of this good stuff probably comes from C.S. Lewis down the line. You know, you kind of think, is that my thought? Well, it's probably C.S. Lewis's. Um, but do have a read of The Great Divorce if you've never read it, because it explores some of these ideas. Great Divorce by C.S. It's a short book. But there's a couple of final little points on the body before I finish. Your body can tell you things that you didn't know. Did you know that? Anybody read the book, The Body Keeps the Score? A couple of people have read that book. It's, it, it's about um, it's a, a, someone who's doing work with, with vets from, vet, veterans, that is not medical vets, but veterans from Vietnam and, and look at post-traumatic stress and how their bodies could remember stuff and react to stuff. And honestly, our bodies tell us things that we didn't know. Why did I blush when that person came in the room. I didn't think I fancied them. Oh, perhaps I did. Um, I remember once telling people, I was chatting to some people about a traumatic experience in my life. I said, yeah, that happened. I'm, I'm fine with it. I, it really, you know, but my body was shaking. My hand was shaking when I was telling the story. My body was telling me, you're not fine with it, David. That's a bit of denial on your part. You know, back in the day, I used to think physical manifestations of the Holy Spirit were a bit not, not really trustworthy. You know, maybe that's a bit of hype. Maybe that's a bit subjective. You know, when people shake, what's going on? You know, when, when people talk about, I don't know. I used to think that's a bit subjective. You know, God brought me up short on that one. He said to me, why do you think your mind is less subjective than your body? David, you've been trusting your own reasoning. Actually, you're in a lot of denial sometimes. <laughs> you know, you miss things because you're trusting your reason. Actually, God's going to speak to you through mind, body, and spirit. Even Jesus knew God was up to things because of what he felt in his body. We've got a mandate for believing that God is up to things because of what we feel in our body. Can I prove that to you? Right. Um, Luke 8, 46, what does that say? Jesus said, someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. There was a time when Jesus knew the Holy Spirit was working and doing an amazing act of healing because he felt something in his body. I, now, what I've discovered in life is that my body tells me all kinds of really interesting things about reality. Even it tells me about the Holy Spirit. And what I've discovered is that just like my body is sensitized to my beloved, <laughs> you know, my, in my marriage I can be sensitized to the voice or the presence of my wife, my partner. And it could be a kind of alertness. And actually, my body is alert to the Holy Spirit. His presence in the room. Sometimes in a prayer ministry time, it feels to me like God's hand is resting on my head. And it feels like the hairs on my head have just become aware. 
just sense, God, you, you've got your hand of blessing on my life. Sometimes my body is aware of the weight of glory in a room. You know that the Hebrew word for, for glory is weight. The Greek word is weight. It's the same connotation. And when sometimes people feel the heaviness in the room, their bodies are telling you, God's here. In fact, in the Old Testament, there was such a lot of heaviness when Solomon dedicated the temple, people couldn't actually get in the building. The glory was there. And, uh, you know, I felt power leave me when I prayed for people and people have been healed. And so I want to say to you, that from time to time, God will get your attention through your physical senses, because that's the only way it can get through to you, because your mind's too distracted, or you're so unbelieving. You know, from time to time, people have just come really cynical and unbelieving, and in their head, they're in one place, God touches their body, and, oh, hello, what was that? <laughs> because God is interested in having a relationship with you, and he's not too proud to speak to you through your physical senses. You know, God's not just an academic He's not going to speak to you through theology. He might do. But he might just as well speak to you through his touch. Good. I reckon I'm done. That was a bit of a funny talk, wasn't it? But um, honestly, you guys are just too important not to talk about this kind of stuff. Your bodies are too important not to talk about this stuff. And just as I finish because um, it's hard to stop a preacher when he's in flow, isn't it? Um, do you know, sometimes great moves of God have come to nothing because people have got too worn out with their bodies. They've been running on adrenaline when they should have had a sluice. They've been trying to do too much when the rhythms of life, the rhythms of sleep and rest and eating are quite key. Do you remember when Elijah was a bit burnt out? He had an incredible spiritual encounter. He must have been on an incredible high when he confronted the prophets of Baal and they had this great victory. They called out far from heaven. And then Jezebel, the queen, threatened his life and he had an incredible crash and low. And he was in a real state. And he said, I should die. God, take my life. And an angel appeared to him and said, have some food. Have some sleep. Have some more food. Have some more sleep. Now perhaps you're ready to listen to God. So if we're going to steward a work of God in our lives, make sure we don't burn out because we're just going mad, you know. Steward our bodies as well as our hearts and spirits. All right, that's my message. I'm going to pray for you. If um, anything I said tonight spoke to you, please stand up. I do get an increment from the, from the boss, you know. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Um, okay, so as you're standing here tonight, if something I've said has spoken to you, it's probably not me, it's probably the Holy Spirit. I said before I preached earlier on, God wants to get your attention tonight. God wants to speak to you. What's he saying to you? I want to ask you to, to, to with me, I'm going to pray, and I'd like you to pray quietly in your own heart about what God's spoken to you today, what's got your attention. So I'll, I'll say a prayer. You can follow my prayer or make a prayer in your own words. Father, tonight you've been speaking to me through this service. 
through David's talk. Because I am of infinite value to you. Because I've been made in your image. Tonight you've got my attention because you want to give me greater fluency in knowing your spirit and partnering with the spirit. Tonight, God, I choose to offer that thing to you. And tonight, God, I choose to offer my body to you again as a living sacrifice. I choose to present all that I am to you, that I might be filled with your spirit and know the glory of God in this present age. And even now, as we're standing, Lord God, let your spirit come. Let your spirit rest on us. Lord, will you put your hand of blessing on our heads? Will you put that spring of living water in our hearts? Will you breathe on us, God, by your Holy Spirit, the breath of God, and give us life? Okay, Nigel just said you should keep going with this. Don't sit down, he's saying. Okay, well, if, if, if as we pray that prayer, again, just ask you to stand up again. If, when you pray that prayer, you're able to pray something meaningful. If you are, do, do stand, because we're going to go back into worship, but someone's going to come around and lay hands on you and bless you. And we'd like to do that. You know, one of the things we, we, we're trying to learn to do in this church is to bless what, the God, what God's doing. We're trying to catch up and keep up with him. So if you're a ministry team, if you've done ministry training, if you're looking around and saying, here's some men and women who, who are standing tonight because they want more of God. They want the earth, what we've heard in our hearts and minds with what's going on in our lives when we leave this place. As we go back into worship, will you just come along and find where they're standing? You don't, we're not going to ask you to come up the front. We're going to go to where you are. And we just, with your permission, just gently just come alongside and just bless what God's doing in your life. Just want to make that really earth in you. Um, is that all right if we do that? So, Holy Spirit, we pray, Lord God, you would work strongly and beautifully in all of us as we stand here today. And we just want to pray, Lord God, that you'd give us that liberty as a community to, to encourage and pray for and heal, move by your Spirit, in Jesus' name.